The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, we finished up our series through Titus uh, last week, which was pretty cool. And then uh, we will start a new series next week. And so this is going to be a bit of a bridge sermon, something that's kind of been burning in my bones for a while. And uh, so get ready, because um, I'm excited about it. Um, we're going to talk tonight about the reality of God. Um, I believe that much of the lukewarmness and the lack of passion that has come to characterize a tragically high percentage of those who identify as God's people, uh, that, that that is a result of God being an abstract concept to them as opposed to a reality. And this is a problem because when God is a concept or an idea, we tend to shape and mold him into what fits our preferences or moods. And the, the truth is, the reality is that our eternal God is the actual creator of all things. And as such, he determines what is true and shapes by his character and power both reality and morality. So you see, you see the contention and tension here? The, the problem is when God is just an idea or a concept, I can kind of change him as my mood changes. I can figure out what parts of, of that whole deal I like and which ones I don't because if it's just an idea, then what's, what's the problem? But if God is a reality, if God is who the Bible presents him to be, then all of a sudden we're not doing the molding and shaping. He is, and so it changes everything. Uh, so how does God go from an idea that we control to an immutable reality for us? How does that transition happen? Uh, I don't know if this is the only answer, but I think this is a major factor. I believe the answer is an encounter with him. So at the individual level, how is it, I don't know what a level is, but a level is a different word, and it worked where I was trying to put it. So uh, at the individual level, I think the answer is we need to have an encounter with God. And I'll, we'll unpack that. Why am I saying that? Uh, we were made for God's presence. Just think about that for a second. I think we say that a lot, and sometimes when you hear things a lot, it just bounces off the top of your head as it goes by. We were made for God's presence. So Compare the fact that if that's what we were made for, compare what everyday life is like for you, right? And, and so why are we so frustrated? I think that's one of the reasons. Um, we were made for God's presence, and we must not encounter him just once, but I would say continually. I submit this verse to you. Psalm 91 verse 1 says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Here's what that scripture tells me. It is possible to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, and abide in his shadow. Okay, when I'm walking with my kids, if they're in the throw of my shadow, how far away are they from me? You, 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 yeah, the, the cute ones in the room, it depends on the time of day, they're not, that, right? they're not that far from me, right? And so this tells me I can live that close to God. Does that spark something in you? It should, and, and, and it also convicts me deeply because I don't think on an average day I'm in God's shadow. I'll just be honest with you, but I want to get there. That's where I want to hang out. I want to be that close to him. I want to be so close to him, he has to but whisper to get my attention. Not have to scream and yell or let me fall into something crazy for me to find and say, oh, okay, Lord, you talking to me? Go ahead. 
I can, I can just tell that today's one of those days where I have to amen myself to keep it going. So y'all just sit there. It'll be all right. I got it all today. I can do it. Buckle up. I'm excited. Uh, so we're in Acts 9. We're going to start in verse 1, okay? So we're dealing with the premise that God need not be a concept to us, but an absolute reality. We need to take what the Bible says and treat him as such. And so how do we go from God being a concept to a reality? The premise is an encounter with him makes the difference. Okay, so here we are. We're in Acts 9, starting in verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. I don't know who, if, if anybody's background on this is pretty well known, but, but here what we have is Saul was uh, facilitating and participating in murdering Christians. He thought it was his job ordained by God to murder Christians because he thought that they were um, blasphemers, okay? So that's what he's doing. Uh, So Saul asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground and nothing, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for men from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. If you were to read on from here, you would find out that Paul immediately began to proclaim the truth about Jesus. No gap in time. He goes straight from this situation on to proclaiming the truth about Christ, marches straight to the synagogue. No lapse, right? And so I think that, uh, I think it's clear that it was a result of this incredible encounter with the risen Christ that he went from Christian murderer to Christ proclaimer uh, in, in but a paragraph, and, and, and immediately, right? What else would have done this? I mean, a, a spirited debate with some? I don't think so. I think, he'd have needed more time to think about it. But, but when King Jesus himself shows up and knocks you down on the ground and says, you're going to stop doing that and you're going to start doing this. There's no more discussion, no apologetics needed. Yes, sir. Right? At least that's how it worked for him. Now, we, we, we must be careful, however, not to say, well, I've, I've never been blinded by a light from heaven I've never heard Jesus speak audibly. You could say that you've never encountered God because you have not encountered him this way. 
Paul the Apostle is the only one we see that God came to in this way. And I believe he did that because that's what was required for Paul to bow his knee and humble his heart. There are many ways that God reveals himself, and there are almost as many ways to encounter him as there are people. And so don't discount, perhaps, the way God has come to you. Um, The question is, have you encountered God? And so the question I want to work on now is, how can you encounter God? This is not um, perhaps every way, but I think these are the ways we see most often in the scriptures leading to an encounter with Christ. Why do we need an encounter with God? Because we have a tendency to put God in a box, and we have a tendency to begin to try to be our own gods, and all of us, no matter how long we've been doing this, sometimes length of time doing it works against you, have this tendency to want to shape and mold and leave out stuff that we don't like, treating God like a concept instead of God, king, ruler, sovereign, creator of everything, and judge of all the earth. Okay, so we got to work on that, and um, maybe it's been a while since there's been an encounter. Maybe you never have encountered God. We're going to work through what that looks like and, and hopefully stirring you an appetite to be in the presence of Almighty God. And I want to give you some ways uh, that the scriptures would tell us that we can head towards that. Okay? So, how can you encounter God? Okay? Number one, sometimes like Saul, um, God will seek you out. He will break you down and humble you. So sometimes you don't have to do anything. <laughs> sometimes you can be heading to do something stupid, and God Almighty will come and say, whoop, you're done. I got you, right? He will come and interrupt what you were doing. He did this with Jonah as well, right? Maybe, I don't like that Paul example. Okay, well, here's, here's another one. Jonah, right? What was Jonah doing? Whatever the heck he wanted to do. God said, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. Tell them that my mercy is for them. I hate the Ninevites, God. I'm not going to do that. Jumps on a boat, headed the opposite direction. God's like, no, yes, you are, right? So sends a storm. And they're trying to figure out, where did this storm come from? This storm is, is not natural. They can tell. They're, they're trying to get everybody, hey, pray to your God, pray to your God. Hey, man, you pray to your God. You don't have a God? Make one up. Pray to him, man, because this boat's about to flip over. And all of a sudden, you know, Jonah pipes up. He's like, guys, this probably has to do with me. Um, you ought to chuck me off the boat. And they're like, well, if your God can do this, we don't want to do that to you. He's like, listen, just do it. So they chuck him off the boat, right? And then we know the rest of it. This is the part where it goes to a miracle and people start having a hard time, but God sends a great fish, man. That thing swallows him up and he ends up dumping him on land uh, right down the street from Nineveh. <laughs> God will come and interrupt what you're doing. So thank, I'm thankful for that, right? Um, now, but maybe you've heard someone say, because of grace and because God is love and because of Jesus' work, God will only ever give us good things, so he would never, ever do that now. Okay, well, first problem with that is that Paul's conversion and encounter with Christ was after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So that's problematic already for this position. Uh, secondly, you know, somebody could push it and make an argument and say, well, you know, he was an apostle. That was a special circumstance. God's never going to let, you know, difficulty come your way. That's never the way he's going to get your attention. Here's the truth about it. God is not interested in only what is good for us. He is about what is best for us. And sometimes that is different than what we have decided is good. You all right with that? You ought to get all right with it because that's the truth. Amen. If you're not all right with it, you assume you always know what's best. That is a problematic and prideful assumption. I have dozens of personal stories in scriptures that would undo this idea that because God is loving and he would never allow hardship for the sake of humbling us, um, 
I mean, we could, that's, that's so easy to take apart, but let's, I just want to use an example to do it. I want to let, I'm going to kind of tell you a little story and I want you to really think about it and see where you fit. Okay. So let's imagine together that there is a beautiful horse named Hondo. Okay. I used to read Western books. So there you go. It's a horse today. Uh, let me give, let me give you, a, let me give you a tip. Here, here's why I do this. Cause some of you waste time, like trying to figure out why is he talking about what he's talking about? I literally try to think of the craziest things I can because I think you'll remember it better. Because I think people that have like, been a part of church or churches in general a long time, like, we, we have this way in life where we just rhythm into stuff and kind of hit neutral. And so if I start talking about this crazy stuff, I feel like you have to perk up, like, in, like at least to tune in for what, where, why is there a horse named Hondo in this sermon, right? So that's where we're at, and it's going to get wilder. So you with me? All right, here we go. So there's a horse named Hondo. Let's say Hondo decides that he does not care what horses are supposed to do. He's going to live in the trees like a squirrel. Okay? I told you it's going to get weird. We got a horse that has decided, bump all this other stuff horses do. That's boring. I'm looking up there in the tree. The squirrels are having fun, jumping from branch to branch. I'm doing that. Right? So he struggles for months until he finally finds a tree that he can climb up into. And he's so happy, right, for like all of five minutes but he loses his balance and he falls because he's big and long and he has hooves instead of paws, right? And he, he wasn't built for tree dwelling. He wasn't built for it. And the fall, it hurts, right? Yeah, it's a big animal falling out of the tree, but he's determined. So he gets back up there, but he keeps falling out and he gashes his big horse head and he, he's breaking his skinny horse legs and it's clear that he's going to die if he keeps insisting on doing essentially the opposite of what he was created for. Okay? So Hondo's a mess. So what if the rancher who looks after his well-being came along, saw what he was doing, lassoed him, and begins to drag him away from the trees? But Hondo, he's kicking and he's snorting because in his sweet little horsey head, those trees are where he wants to be. And he believes if he just keeps at it, eventually he'll have joy and fulfillment living in those wonderful branches, just like a squirrel. But even though Hondo's fighting it, the rancher, because even though Hondo's fighting the rancher, because Hondo thinks the rancher's hurting him, taking him away from something good, the rancher is stronger. He pulls Hondo away and he puts him in a pasture with a, with a big fence and without any trees so he can run and graze and do all the things he was made to do and be safe from this ridiculous tree obsession that he has. So here's my question to you. I want you to judge the story. Was the rancher caring and loving or mean and hateful? But the horse believed the tree was where he should be. He, he believed, man, with all his big horsey heart, that being in that tree like a squirrel was going to, that was the key to his happiness. Are you sure it's loving for the rancher to stop the horse from climbing up that thing over and over again and falling? Who's the horse, Love City? I'm Hondo. You're Hondo. Every single time we decide we know what's best, that what we think is good is better than what God has already declared to be best. Every single time. So yes, and part of why I make the story so ridiculous is I want you to feel really silly when you realize you're Hondo. So here's what would be fun. I think this would be a fun thing to weave into the culture of Love City Church. Next time somebody's doing this, next time somebody's doing the, I got a better option than what God has already declared, I want us to say to them, hey man, are you being a tree horse? Wouldn't that be fun? 
Because it's just going to make you feel dumb. And that's good. Sometimes you need to feel silly. Because when you're disobeying God, assuming that you know better than he does, you're, you're, you're acting like a horse that wants to live in a tree. It's really foolish. It's, it's so crazy, you almost can't believe it's being included in a sermon right now. And that's the way we live sometimes. It's that unbelievably foolish. Okay, so number one. Uh, how can you encounter God? Sometimes God's going to come to you. Sometimes you're going to be going your merry way. Sometimes you're going to be making foolish choices. And sometimes God just sovereignly comes and gets in the middle of that. And uh, I'm thankful that he does. That's very loving on his part. The second way that you can encounter God is through worship. And when I say worship, I mean both personal and corporate. And I'm focusing in on, you know, we we have a high value here that worship is all of life, right? The way I work is worship to God. The way I treat my family is worship to God. I, I, all, every component of what I do should be offered as a, as a fragrant offering to God. I am speaking specifically now about joining together with other Christians, singing songs of thanksgiving, and or doing that by yourself. Stopping, focusing your attention and affection upon the God who made you. I'm talking about worship with the assistance of music, okay? So that's where I'm at with it. Um, let, me, uh, let me read this to you. This is out of Isaiah 6, okay? I think I'm just going to give you the whole chapter just for the context. It's not very long. This is a vision of Isaiah the prophet, and I want you to try to imagine what he's describing. Don't go read it. I see you turning Bibles. Don't do that. I want you to imagine what I'm saying. I want you to listen to me and let your mind imagine what he's seeing in this vision, okay? This is what Isaiah says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, here I am, send me. He, he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Here's what I want to see first from this. That worship 
is the automatic result of encountering God. Worship is the automatic, it is the automatic result of encountering God. You are not going to come into God's presence without worship flowing from you. You won't be able to help it. And that's true, I believe that's true ultimately for Christian and non-Christian alike. A day's going to come where every knee's going to bow. I'm, I'm going to be on Team Jesus' side of that deal, and I'm real thankful about that, but ultimately every, everybody's going to acknowledge one day. That's, that's the king of glory right there. That's the one who made everything. The automatic result of encountering God is worship, but it is also a way to encounter him. So you get in God's presence, you're going to worship. But also a way to come into his presence is to worship him. Um, I, I would call to your attention the fact that uh, Isaiah, he, he was in the temple, right? So he was um, in, in a setting where a worship service, um, we, we don't get the details of that, but a worship service either was happening or could be happening or was going to happen soon. He was gathering in that context. Um, and it's what he sees here in the way he encounters God uh, it, it, for you to think through that, I, I would commit to you to um, read Isaiah 6 anytime you start to feel the flame of the passion that comes in being bought with the blood of Christ wane because to let my mind's eye wander to what Isaiah is describing, um, even, even in reading back through it today, I had to push back from the desk where I was working and, and just stop and worship. This, this is the God that we serve. It's, it's utterly amazing. Um, I want to tell you about something. I, I know that experience uh, comes nowhere near what the authority of the scriptures does, but I want to tell you an example of a time in worship where um, I believe I encountered the tangible presence of God. Um, I went to a camp when I was um, maybe 13 years old. Um, it was a really a terrible camp from like a interesting standpoint. Like they had a, a little dinky pool and like a basketball court and that was about all they had. It was not a really cool camp for like especially teenagers to go to. It was out in the middle of Iowa. And uh, so that part w was a bit of a bummer. And so I didn't really know what to expect when I got there, got on the campgrounds. I'm like, this is going to be cool. No, it's not. And so, um, and then it, it got even a little more interesting because um, they had these chapel services at night, and, and I went in there, and um, the, the guy that they had brought in, the, the, the preacher that they had brought in, was a guy from Alabama, so he had this super thick accent, which um, it's, not, it's not fair, but if you're like from a northern state and you hear someone with an incredibly thick southern accent, typically you start, like you discredit them a little bit, and so I did that at 13. Um, Again, I said that's not fair or right, but I did it. So I'm like, great. This guy's... I, I actually imagine him when I remember back to the scenes in my mind. I imagine him in overalls. I don't know if that was true or not, but somehow my mind has projected that into the scene. So maybe he did wear overalls. That's possible. I'm serious. This brother may have been in overalls up there preaching the, the youth camp. Um, but anyways, so uh, it wasn't the first night, but it was one of the nights. We were all... Uh, we were worshiping God, um, singing together. It, it was beautiful. Um, I would say God's holy presence was, was already there. But this brother stops and he says, um, the Lord just spoke to me. And uh, he told me that if everyone in this room will pray for God to allow them to feel as much as their physical flesh can handle for them to feel the pain he feels for the lost, that he'll do that for you right now. And um, I assume most people in the room prayed it. I did. 
And guys, you can, you can chalk it up to emotionalism or mass hysteria, whatever you want. None of that is a sufficient answer for me because as people begin to pray that prayer, a wail like a mother that just lost her child started at one end of the, the room and it swept across and I could hear it as it was coming and as it hit me instantly, I, I had no option. My face was completely glued to the ground. I was weeping uncontrollably. I crawled from there to the altar and just laid my face on it and I don't know how long I was there. And I've never felt such tangible pain. It, it, was, it was physical. My heart hurt so bad. And I don't know how long I was there, but eventually it lifted from me. And I will tell you today that that encounter with God is part of what's wrong with me today. Some of you wonder. That's part of it. Because I felt, as I, I think if God would have let me feel any more of it, I would have died. He let me feel as much as I could handle the pain he feels for the lost. And that began to change the way I viewed my own life and what the mission of God was. Um, and so... That encounter with God marked me, increased my life, and there's been many others like that. And I'm just telling you, these accounts in the Bible, I believe Isaiah. Not just because I, of what I believe about the scriptures, but because I've, 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 not, been, I've not seen the, the train of the glory of the Lord fill a temple, but I, I have been in a place where undeniably his glorious presence was there uh, many times. Um, I would tell you that I have heard God's voice most clearly and most often in times of corporate worship, whether that be four or five people in a basement. Um, there's been times where hours and hours will go by where uh, most of it probably, I think for most of us that know what I'm talking about, that we're a part of that. It was when we were younger, and that might be part of the problem, why it doesn't happen so much anymore. Going and working through this, I was highly convicted about that. Um, but I many times found myself uh, joyfully incapacitated by God's Holy Spirit. Not able to move. All I could do was sing. Uh, I've received visions from God in, in those contexts. I've heard his voice clearly in those contexts many times. And um, it's something that I, I need to personally get back to in my own life. So I'll just say that publicly. Um, I would also tell you something that I, I've noticed many times. Um, I... I have worked ever since I was young. Um, we, we didn't have a lot of money, and so if I wanted anything, I was going to have to work. And so I convinced a guy to let me frame houses illegally when I was 14. And uh, there's a reason they don't let 14-year-olds typically do stuff like that. You're still growing and developing. And so I, I have a constant set of aches and pains and joints and, and back and things like that. And I'm, I would tell you that uh, there has been many times... And even in the recent situation I had with the pinched nerve in my back, where I would gather with God's people, and only in a time of worship, corporate worship together, would I feel that pain go away. And it would last probably until I got back in the flesh, and then, <laughs> and then the pain would come back. And, and you can trust me about that or not. You can think I'm embellishing it. You can do whatever you want with it. I'm telling you, that's the truth. I have felt the presence of God affect my mortal flesh, and, and it, caused, it drive pain out of my body. Um, and so all I'm saying is uh, of ways to encounter God, worship is a, is a vibrant um, option. And it's one that I, I have related to probably most often in my life. If I think I need to get in God's presence, typically what I'm going to do is get away from everybody and start singing to him. A, I'm going to get away from everybody and start singing to him because no one wants to hear me sing. But B, that just helps me stay focused on him. Um, 
but there's been some, some beautiful things that can only be described as God himself filling a room in, with his presence. Uh, and some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are nodding your head because you've been there. Some of you know exactly what I mean. Some of you are like, wow, I'm not sure I've really experienced that. Um, and I want to encourage you that it's real and you can, and you should press for it. Maybe set your expectation higher. Maybe that's some of it. Maybe you don't even know that, that that's possible. Um, but God will visit you. You can encounter the living God in an undeniable way. Um, and you find yourself in, in his presence, you're not going to be able to help yourself anyways. Like Isaiah. <laughs> Woe to me. <laughs> I'm in the presence of God Almighty. Um, so sometimes God will do it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to teach you how you can encounter God because I think all of us need to and more often than we are. Okay? Sometimes he'll just come and do it. Uh, we can encounter God through worship. Um, another way is we can encounter God through prayer. Okay? I'm just going to read you some verses from Acts. This is Acts 4, uh, verses 23 through 31. Uh, it says, when they had been released, that's talking about Peter and John. Okay, if you know Acts 4, you know that that's the chapter where um, the, the religious guys with the big hats grab Peter and John, threaten them, tell them you guys better quit talking about Jesus or we're going to make life real bad for you. Um, you know, rough them up a little bit and let them go. Uh, it's one of my favorite sets of verses because contained in that it says that um, Peter and John were untrained men, but it was clear to everyone that they had been with Jesus. And uh, that's, that's a very meaningful set of verses to me. So they released them. So it says, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, okay, so they're starting to pray, right? Here's where the prayer begins. Oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus uh, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Whew, that's a good one. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. I'm, I'm not sure when and how our expectations lowered so much, but if you go through it, man, look at Isaiah, go back and look at Isaiah. Those angels start singing, holy, 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 what happens? Then it says the doorposts start shaking. These guys right here are praying after they just got released, after they just had their life threatened for preaching Jesus, and they said, here's what we're going to do. We'll let you judge whether we should listen to you or keep doing what we're doing. We're going to do what Jesus told us to do. We can't be quiet about what we've seen and heard. That kind of boldness and power, they come back, start praying to God, asking for more boldness and power to continue to proclaim the message, asking for signs and wonders to follow them, to confirm that it is Christ himself being preached. What happens? The Holy Spirit descends, the doors start shaking again. I'm talking about, man, when God's presence shows up, that stuff shakes. There's an earthquake. I don't, I don't think that has to be out of the ordinary. I think we oftentimes shy away from things like that because 
we have, uh, I think in a lot of ways, we've been neutered spiritually, to be honest with you. I don't think we read this stuff a whole lot and take it seriously sometimes. So they prayed. The place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. I just want to show you one of many, many examples where people were desperate, crying out to God, praying for his help, and here he comes. He shows up in an undeniable fashion. They encountered God that day, did they not? They did, through prayer, okay? That may seem self-explanatory to you. I want, I want to be in God's presence. I pray. Yeah, it is, but I think we also need to take a look at the way they were praying. What were they praying for? New tunics? No. God, help us. Confirm your word that what we are preaching, that Christ is King and Savior of all. Their heart was motivated by the gospel. Their prayers to God were motivated by the gospel. They cared most about that mission. And their prayers were riddled with requests regarding that. Does that mean you can't pray for a new tunic? No. If you need a tunic, go ahead. God said you can bring that request to him as well. What's the preponderance of your prayers? What are you most concerned with? What drives your heart and passions, right? There you go. Okay. So you can pray. You can worship. How, are we encounter, how do you encounter God is what we're talking about. Don't lose track of where we're at. You can encounter God through worship, through prayer. Sometimes he'll stop you in the middle of what you're doing. Here's another way, through studying the scriptures. These might sound self-explanatory, and, and I, I, I took before the Lord this idea because I started to think, Lord, this is maybe in a different context, but I'm bringing some elementary things to the people. I'm saying to them that what we need is to study the scriptures, we need to pray, and we need to worship, right? And most people would think, well, I mean, yeah, right? We already know that. And, and, and as I begin to bring that to him, is there something else I need to say? Is there something else I need to focus on? Uh, he brought to my remembrance the fact that Perhaps a half dozen people in the last month have come to me, their life unraveling at the seams, and when you poke down into what is causing the issue, it was an abandonment of these simple spiritual disciplines. And so let us not stand as if you know, we, we are insolent and, and without guilt in looking these things over or overlooking these things. Because I think oftentimes um, we, we feel we get to some level of you know, spiritual excellence, and, and these things are, are no longer needed. I need to encounter God continually. I want to dwell and live in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalms 91 says I can, so I want it. I want to be right next to him all the time. And I'm not going to do it without worship. I'm not going to do it without prayer, and I'm definitely not going to do it without studying the Scriptures. So you can encounter God through studying the scriptures. Here's what Luke 24, 27 says. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So this is, um, this is Jesus on the road to Emmaus, right? He shows up. These two guys are debating about all the events that happened around the crucifixion and stuff. Uh, for whatever reason, they couldn't recognize him. That's not really explained. Uh, but the bottom line is they're talking about it. Jesus says, what are you talking about? And they're like, where have you been, man? Have you not heard about the prophet? This stuff happened. And, you know, they kind of give their version of the story and they're way off. And Jesus is like, you know, Pastor Vince's version, you doofuses. You don't know what you're talking about. And, and, here's, and, and, then, and then it says this. So to fix their mistake, to fix their misunderstanding of what was going on, to fix their lack of faith, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus takes them to the Bible that they had at that time. Remember, that was the scriptures. And he begins to show them from Genesis all the way up to Malachi. Here's me. All the time it was pointing to me. Right? Through all 39 books of the Old Testament. And so taking them to the scriptures, they were able to 
encounter the reality of God. And Jesus took them to the scriptures. Uh, I mean, you, you could almost you can almost think you know, some people get so um, they get so hyper spiritual that they start to think like. Um, they hear stuff about the law being fulfilled in Christ, and, and then they see, they see scriptures about the Holy Spirit, and they start to think that like what the Holy Spirit came to do is make us have no need for the Word, and that's, that's so foolish. The Holy Spirit's always going to drive us back to the Word, and we're going to encounter God himself through his Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? I've often found myself uh, foolishly jealous of the disciples getting to sit around the campfire, eat broiled fish, and just listen to Jesus talk. I am in a much higher and more privileged position than the apostles are because I have the totality and the completeness of the counsel of the word of God and I have with me today the promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I have both. And so I'm thankful. And I can get in this Bible anytime I want and spend time with Christ. I can encounter God through these scriptures. That's, that's how it's supposed to look. And so um, I, I hear people say things like, I don't need to read the scriptures daily to be a Christian. Here's what Matthew 4.4 4 says. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, I mean, you can run around with the I don't need to read the scriptures daily to be a Christian idea. And I would say to you, I guess. I mean, but technically you don't need to eat every day either. But you don't do that for a while, you're going to be weak and vulnerable. Man does not live by bread alone by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's a reference to these scriptures. Some of this is going to come down to hunger. Some of you are hearing this. Some of you are thinking, some of you haven't even thought in terms of the importance of how me encountering God or being in God's presence. Some of you, like, this is, so you're like, hold on. Like, I can do that all the time? So you're, you're excited about the fact that there is multiple ways that you can get into God's presence. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I've heard all this before. I, I, need, you to, I, <laughs> I need you to shake yourself, man, because... This is, this is real serious, and, and if we don't shake ourselves, and if we, don't, uh, if we don't encounter God on a regular basis in a real and vibrant and tangible way, it, it is almost impossible to not slide into this tendency of him becoming a concept instead of a continual reality for us. It's almost impossible to not slide into this tendency to begin to think we can shape and mold based on our preference uh, how it is we're going to serve God, what it is it's, all that's going to look like, instead of being commanded by him as should be. Uh, so if our tendency to treat God as a concept that we mold to suit our preferences is remedied by an encounter with him, okay, that's the premise I'm giving to you. We need to encounter God because if we don't, uh, we will begin to treat him as if he's an idea and not uh, the father of everything uh, and our creator. And so if it's remedied by an encounter with him, the next logical question is, how do you know if you indeed have encountered God? Some of you may have already begun that assessment process. Have I encountered God? Is God for me an idea? How do I treat God in the scriptures? Do I, do I pick what I want or like from it? And, and thus, I am the supreme being molding this idea of God that I find useful or valuable in some areas of my life? Or... Do I come to the scriptures and expect to be commanded by a God who is supreme and over me and thus real and not just an idea? Um, I'm asking you to assess yourself. I'm asking you to think about it in practical ways. How does this work itself out in your life? But how can you know if you've encountered God? What are the signs? If you're trying to assess yourself as I'm hoping you are, 
Have you encountered God as you're, as you're looking at yourself? There, there are likely hundreds of specifics that um, could be addressed in this, uh, but we'll look at three effects of counter, in, encountering God that will broadly cover most, if not all, of the specifics, right? So we could, I mean, literally, there's hundreds of little things we could point at, but I'm going to, I tried by God's help to distill it down to three that will cover most of the rest. I'm giving you these so that you can assess yourself and judge whether your life reflects a relationship with God as a concept or a reality. I am asking you to look at your life. I'm asking you to assess, is God God to you? Or is it a pet idea that you keep around when it's convenient? Because that will not do. And if that's what's happening, the fix for that is for him to become real to you. Because when he becomes real to you, stuff changes. Here's the effects of uh, encountering God. If you encounter God, you will be humbled. Number one. Isaiah 6.5. Here's, here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 6.5. I'm just going back to what I read you before in pieces. He, said, he, he, he sees the glory of God, right? He sees the seraphim. What's his comment? He says, woe to me. I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And the angels are calling out, holy, holy, holy. You ever thought about that? Why are the angels calling out, holy, holy, holy? First of all, the fact that they're saying it three times, that's in, in, in Hebrew, many times the way emphasis is driven, like oftentimes we'll put an adjective in front of it. In Hebrew, oftentimes it'll just be repeated. There are several times where in the Hebrew Bible, if you break it down, the word is just said twice. Uh, I can't remember the reference, but there's some place where something is made out of gold, and, 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 and in the English translation, it says this thing was made out of the purest gold. But in the Hebrew, it just says, this was made out of gold gold. There's letting you know, man, this is gold-ish gold. You don't ever see anywhere else on any subject a triple emphasis. This is a level of holy, double holy didn't say, doesn't say it. God is holy, holy, holy. Why the triple emphasis? And, and, and why is this the attribute of all of God's attributes that these angels cry out? Couldn't they cry out love, love, love? Couldn't they cry out mercy, mercy, mercy? It could be justice. These are all true, aren't they? Why holy? The holiness of God is the only attribute of his that you, can, that you cannot worship with impure motives. Do you love God for his holiness alone? I'll break it down for you. You could worship God out of his, because of his lovingness out of a selfish motive, right? Because you receive something from the fact that he is loving. You receive his love. You can worship God uh, selfishly out of his, because of his mercy, because you are receiving a tangible benefit from his mercy. So your motive could be stained. I'm worshiping you because you're, you are merciful to me. Uh, his power you could worship God's power selfishly because I serve a powerful God that can solve my problems. His holiness? There is no tangible benefit. His holiness is, at best is a threat to you. 
Because why? Why does Isaiah get in the presence of God? Why does Isaiah see the glory of God, the train of his robe, fill the temple? Why is his instant reaction, woe to me? When a prophet says woe, that's a curse. This brother is using strong language to say, woo, I'm in trouble. What caused him, why is he, I mean, he's looking at God. What's he worried about what bro, how broken he is? That's the instant reaction to perceiving God's holiness. You put yourself in comparison to the perfect holiness of God, you, all of a sudden you find out. You're dark and wretched in comparison. You come nowhere close. You will be humbled in the presence of God. We see this in Isaiah's example. That God's holiness is... But here's the question. Can we, knowing that God's holiness is a threat to us, can we still worship him in the beauty of his holiness? Are we excited about the fact that he is holy? We can be because of Christ. If it wasn't for Christ, God's holiness would mean you lose. If it wasn't for Christ, God's perfection would mean you're never near him. But because of Christ, we can worship him and rejoice in his holiness. To view it, to contemplate it, to let our mind wander to the total perfection of his holiness will every single time bring us low. And that is good. You will be humbled in the presence of God. I'm trying to teach you to figure out have you encountered God or not. Are you humble? Have you been humbled? Have you had an experience where you were in God's presence and found yourself humbled and broken? Where you cried out, woe to me. I'm a man or a woman of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Have you ever been broken over your sin in the presence of God? Then you have encountered him. And we ought to get back there as often as possible. God's holiness is, is, a, it is a threat to us. Um, but it is the reason we magnify him. And it allows us to see our wretchedness in comparison. But incredibly, as wretched and broken as we are in comparison to his perfect holiness, he sees us as perfect and righteous because of Christ. So I'm really thankful for that. First way you can figure out, have you encountered God? In his presence, you will be humbled. In his presence, you will be made aware of your fault. In his presence, you will... However, the, the, beauty, the beauty of this is because we have the gospel, we can be simultaneously brought low and humbled but at the same time affirmed. Because even though I am, his light shines upon the depth of my wretchedness. I'm at, the same, at the same time, I am promised his affirmation and love because of Christ. I'm not even totally sure how that works. I don't know if, if, I don't know if, I don't know if Jesus is just like all the time jumping in front of God's eyes so he's only seeing him because like if he could get his eyes on me, there's, it's bad. People say rose-colored glasses. I don't know if I don't know if God the Father's just got some, some Jesus blood lenses that just, I don't know how all that works, but the Bible tells me he sees me as righteous because of my faith in Christ, and I'm real thankful for that. Because I begin to contemplate his perfect holiness, and I look at myself in comparison, I'm brought low. And I say, woe is me. Second way you can know if you've encountered God, when you encounter God, your passions pursuits and priorities will change. Has this happened to you? Here's my question to you. Did Isaiah and Paul encounter the living God and as a result become nominal, half-hearted, self-focused church service attenders? Is that the result of them encountering the living God? 
a, I'll show up and give some lip service to Jesus every once in a while, maybe throw an offering and satiate my conscience. Is that what they ended up with after a meeting with the living God? You're looking down and squirming in your seat. We're supposed to, guys. Hallelujah. Praise God for his word. Praise God he would let us encounter him. Praise God he would let us be chastised by his love. Amen. That's not what happened to Paul and Isaiah. They didn't become nominal, half-hearted, you know, out-of-convenience Christians. No, they didn't. Uh, Paul, what, did he, what happened to him when he met the risen Christ, when he encountered God himself? He went on from there to pour himself out to the point of death for the preaching of the gospel. I'm talking about what happens when somebody encounters God. I'm trying to ask you to judge yourself. Has this happened for you? How's one of the ways you're going to know? Your passions, your pursuits, and your priorities are going to change like it did for Paul. He went from what he was doing to to a whole different track and spent the rest of his life doing it until someone killed him for it. And he was happy about it. Paul didn't just join a church and show up when it was convenient for him. He traveled across the ancient world planting churches, raising up leaders, and preaching about Jesus everywhere he went. Now, some of you that know the Bible a little more, uh, I'll make this point, and, and it'll help us understand the way we look at priorities. Um, I think passions and pursuits are maybe a little bit more self-explanatory, but how do we deal with priorities? You might say that didn't Paul work as a tent maker, even, even during this time? Yes, he did. Paul, Paul held a job off and on. Um, and, and, and the other thing you got to remember is Paul was a highly educated man, and so if he had stayed where he was comfortable and connected, he could have done a much easier job than the manual labor that would have come in the tent-making position. Uh, he had enough education to sit somewhere in the shade and teach people, okay, if he wanted to. Um, but instead, he worked as a tent-maker so that he could survive while he was on mission for Jesus. So what does that look like? Yes, he had a job, but his job was not the end. It was a means to an end. All his job was, was to survive and get enough food so that he could keep on going to the next mission, so he could keep on going to the next city to tell more people about Jesus, so he could keep moving on to find the next guy to raise up as a pastor to plant a church in the next city. That's what his job was. His job was not the mission. His job was a part of what he was doing in in the totality of his life for Christ. I'll say it to you this way. We don't fit God's mission into our lives. We center our lives around God's mission. We don't fit God's mission into our lives or our job schedules, right? You know, I think, I think we need to look at, I'm asking you, have I, I want you to ask yourself, have I truly encountered God? And I want you to look at Paul's response to encountering the living God. We're going to look in a second at Isaiah, deeper into Isaiah's response when he encounters the living God. And I want you to ask yourself, have I encountered him? Does, what, does, does the result of my life does the way I live and think and what I emphasize, does it, should it lead me to believe that I have indeed encountered the presence of the living God? Isaiah. Did Isaiah encounter God Almighty and then walk out and ask himself, what do I feel like doing now? No. He is shattered by the realization of his brokenness. And then the angel brings the fire of God from the altar and cleanses him and declares that his sin has been atoned for. And then Isaiah, here, so that happens, right? He's there. He is, he is utterly shattered. Um, previous to that, he would have had no example of the fire of God coming to cleanse or atone for sin. And so Isaiah sees this, this six-winged seraphim bringing this hot coal from the altar. Um, his assumption 
surely is that he's done for. The fire of God's going to hit him. He's done. But what he does instead is touch his lips. He says, the seraphim says, your sin is atoned for. And then here's the very next thing that Isaiah hears. Isaiah hears God say, who will go for us? Who are we going to send? And what does Isaiah say? He's just encountered the living God. Here's, here's what comes out of his mouth. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And here's what I think is really interesting about the fact that that's his response. He does not even hear the job description yet. Nobody's told him what God is asking him to do. Here's the reality. He has stood in the presence of the living God. The angel of God has brought the fire of God and touched his lip with it. He has encountered the living God. And so for that God then to speak and say, who are we going to send? Who will go for us? He does not need the rest of the information to say, here I am. Send me. And that's what I want to say to you today, my friends, dear ones, I'm, I'm, I am desperately concerned that that is not primarily what we are communicating to God, that that is not primarily what I'm saying to him on a daily basis. Here I am. Send me without strings attached, without a box that the statement goes in. You know what Isaiah went on to do? So he says, here I am, send me. Then God gives him the job description. He says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to preach the rest of your life to a deaf-eared people. It's going to be fruitless, and they're never going to turn. That's the job description. What does Isaiah do in the light of the fact that he has encountered the living God, that he has been in his presence? He hears this terrible, wretched job description. I want you to go and preach, and nobody's going to listen to you. How long, Lord, till all the cities lie in ruin, till it's all said and done? Nobody's going to turn when you preach it. Does he do it? Read the rest of the book. Yep. Why? Why would he take on a task like that? How thankless is that? Why would he take on a task with no affirmation? Why would he take on a task where there's no way for him to gauge if he's even doing it right? He encountered God. And so when he said, here I am, send me, he didn't care. He didn't care what came after that. He didn't have any restrictions on it. He meant it. He didn't need any more information. And I can't imagine a more appropriate response to understanding the gospel or encountering the presence of Almighty God than to say, here I am, send me. And to mean it. Amen. Some of you are frustrated and you don't know what to do with yourselves. And here would be my desperate pastoral friend. I don't care what you think of me as. I don't know if you've, this may be the first time you've been here, but if you're frustrated, don't know what to do with yourself, feel like God's not talking to you, you don't know what to do, here's my desperate plea to you. Cut away everything that you need to. Pray like your life depends on it. Pursue him in the word like a starving man searching for food. Quit with this nominal, half-hearted, I'm kind of in, whatever else. You, in order to serve God wholeheartedly, we have to encounter him. And when we encounter him, we're going to talk to him like Isaiah did. And that's what I'm asking you to get to. And so maybe you haven't encountered him. Maybe that's the problem. And so I'm not trying to make you feel bad about that. I love you. I, need, I want you to encounter him. And so I'm asking you to pray 
desperately. I'm asking you to search his word like somebody that hadn't eaten for days would be searching for food. I'm asking you to worship the king as if he is standing before you. And here's what I'm saying to you. If you'll do that, if you'll worship him as if he's standing before you before long, he will be. And then you'll, you'll be in his presence and then you'll, you'll, be able to, you'll be able to melt away and you'll be able to lay down all of those other things and you'll be able to say to him, here I am, send me. And you won't put it in a box of what your expectations are. When you stand in awe of his majesty, you will be able to say with no hint of pretense, here I am, God, send me. And you won't care what the assignment is. You'll just know whatever it is, you will passionately obey. That's the key. To encounter God in such a way that you are so struck in awe of his beauty and grace and his holiness that you find yourself saying, here I am, send me. And you don't care what he comes back with. How does this work? Because when you encounter the living God, you are undone. Your pride and selfishness melts like wax in the sun, and you are left with no option but joyful obedience. And it really is joyful. That's the other thing I wish you'd believe. Some of you won't believe me. That to completely and totally submit... Let, let, me, let me tell you something. Isaiah doing what seemed like maybe one of the worst job assignments ever in God's kingdom, there was joy for him in that because he was obeying God. Because he was responding to the fact that he had been in the presence of Almighty God. Almighty God himself. And that that God had commissioned him. And so he was happy, whatever that meant to do it. That's why encountering God is important. That's why this can't just be an idea. That's why worshiping a concept won't do. You won't sell out. You, you won't say, here I am, send me for an idea. A concept that you shape and mold. You will push it and shape it and make it into something that's comfortable for you every time. That's why God cannot just be a concept that we conjure and manipulate because he's not. He's the king of glory. He's the God that Isaiah saw in the temple. He's the God that John the revelator saw. And that God, you don't tell him what to do. He tells you what to do and then with a smile on your face you do it. Not because you have to fake it. But because you trust that he doesn't care so much what you think is good for you. He knows what's best for you. Third way you can know that if you, whether or not you've encountered the living God, when you encounter Christ, you will become more like him. Uh, Romans 8.29 says this, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, we know that not one single person is now or ever has been perfect. And that means that each of us have broken God's laws. Every single one of us is a rebel. And we are deserving of our just punishment for spitting in the face of God our creator. For spitting in the face of that God that came and filled the temple in Isaiah's vision. Uh, but Jesus, the eternal son of God, out of obedience to the father and out of his love for us, left his heavenly throne came to be born of a poor virgin girl and live out the perfect life that we couldn't by the power of the Spirit. And that life allowed him to pay the penalty that we all deserved. 
Him living that perfect life meant he could be the sacrificial lamb. He could do it. And then he did. He followed through. He walked it out. He allowed himself to be beaten and mocked and spit upon and crucified by the very ones that he came to save. And then he rose three days later because he had defeated death and sin. And so he is now forever, forever Christus Victor, our victorious Christ. And the more you encounter and dwell with our risen King and Savior, the more you're going to sacrifice like him, you're going to be bold like him, and you're going to love like him. How can you know if you've encountered the living God? You will be humbled. Your priorities and your passions and your pursuits are going to change. Is there a moment you can remember where it went from being all about you to all about God and his mission? Do you remember that? If not, I'm concerned for you, and I love you, and I'm asking you, please, then desperately take these steps. Do what is necessary to encounter the living God as Isaiah did, as Paul did. Because we need to be humble, and we need our passions and our pursuits and our priorities to change. And we need to be more like Christ. So we need to be with him. This nominal, half-hearted, whatever much of Christianity has become will not do. We will not accomplish the mission under that pretense. It won't work. There's no power in it, and people can smell the fakeness from a mile away. I'm asking you to get with God, dear ones. I'm asking you to get with him. Get in his presence. Seek after him. Harder than anything else in your life. And believe that, that no matter where you're at in this process, no matter where you find yourself, you pursue encountering his presence more, things are going to change. And it will all be for your good. Maybe not by your definition, but by the ones who matters. That's our fathers. May we be a people who live as though God is real and reigning. May we seek him ever more through his word and prayer and worship. May his presence in our lives cause us to be humble. May it reorder our passions, our pursuits, and our priorities. And may we continually be transformed into the image of our beautiful Savior for our good and for his glory. Can I just, I want to ask of you, friends, that um, as we respond to God today, I, I want you to ask him to reveal himself to you. For some of you, that'll be the first time you've prayed something like that, and it'll be foreign to you. For some of you, you've, you've encountered God in real and vibrant ways before, but you've grown cold. For some of you, this will be something that's not that odd because you constantly are pursuing him. I'm asking everyone today, as we respond to God today through communion and worship, I'm asking you to call out to him. I'm asking you to pursue his presence, I'm asking you to pursue an encounter with him. I'm asking you to press for it by faith. And uh, I'm asking those of you that do end up encountering him in this place today, and it's right, and it's without pretense, and there's no fakeness to it, I'm asking you to step out and say, here I am, send me. Um, because more of us need to live like Isaiah and less like what we've been doing. Amen. Let's pray. Father, 
We come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. I am thankful for I am thankful for the privilege of your presence. I am thankful that though every one of us is wretched and undeserving of the opportunity to encounter you in any way, you have made a way that we can. God, I ask you to forgive us, to forgive our insolence, to forgive the fact that we treat encountering you in a real way uh, as of no importance most of the time. I ask you to forgive us for Many of us spending days, some months, some years without a legitimate time in your presence. Lord, I ask you to come and remedy that among us. I ask you to stir a fire and passion and hunger within your people that we would not settle for some nominal, half-hearted participation in your kingdom. I ask God that we would be stirred in the deepest part of our hearts that we would be able to say with no pretense, with no agenda, with no strings attached, here we are, Lord, send us, and not care what it means, not care what you come back with, because we are in such awe of your glory and your majesty. God, may encounters with you begin to shape our life. May encounters with you begin to shape our character and our countenance. May encounters with you, as they become more and more frequent, God. This is not just a one-time thing, but God, I am consistently spending time in your presence. God, may we continue to move towards that high goal of dwelling and abiding in your shadow, in the refuge of your presence, oh God. I thank you that you have even set that out as a possibility for ones who are so unworthy as us. But I thank you because of Christ, we can press for that. We can hope for that. That we could spend more minutes than we are now in your presence and and, and the hope is one day to spend every minute within the reach of your shadow. And God, as we encounter, we we, we ask that um, we would be visibly humbled, that the people around us would would say, something's clear and you've been with Jesus. Something's changed. You're, look, you're looking and acting more like him. Your words are seasoned with more grace and love and also truth. There's a boldness and a confidence about you, but it's, it's not arrogant. And God, may you completely come and destroy the things that we often set up as priority. May our passions and our pursuits be completely turned in towards the mission that you would have for us. God, I don't believe that You've called us to any less than Paul or Isaiah. May we see that and act accordingly. We need your strength and help to do it, your grace. We love you. Thank you for hearing our prayers because of the finished work of Christ. It's in that beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.